Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to the American Dream Podcast, where we only interview passionate people. Not just kidding. I'm just messing with the intro now. Today, Ashley Aiden joins me on the show. Ashley is the principal investor of Vamos Ventures, a venture capital investing in diverse team in the earliest stages across health and wellness, commerce, fintech, future of work, sustainability. With over 88% of Vamos Ventures' initial capital invested in Latinx-led companies, Ashley and I are going to talk about why she's choosing to invest in diverse-backed companies, how she got interested in venture capital, and why Latinos make great entrepreneurs. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love this. I love this. So that last name does not sound Latino. What's going on? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that background. Yeah, for sure. My dad's Turkish and he immigrated to this country when he was in his early 20s. So that explains the last name. There you go. And then How do you yeah, pronounce it? How do you pronounce it? It's Aiden, but Aiden. Know, I say Aiden all the time. I don't mind either one. Ashley Aiden flows actually better because of the double A's. <laughs> My mom's the, the Puerto Rican one and she's from Brooklyn. Traditional Puerto Rican Brooklyn girl. (laughs) And so very passionate on both sides, clearly, and a lot of good food, a lot of culture, a lot of loud conversations, which I very much appreciated growing up. And so that's my background. And I'm from New York and always appreciated that because I think growing up, I just saw a lot of diversity, a lot of folks from different walks of life. And that very much, I think, started to inform my career decisions and, and my journey. Cheers. That's like the triple loudness, triple passionate, (laughs) direct, Latina, Turkish, New Yorker. Yeah, you got to appreciate the hustle, you know? (laughs) Oh my God, the hustle. You got got it. That's for sure. It's like, you're just like overflowing with the hustle. Okay, this is the test if you're truly Latina. That Aiden stuff is just throwing me off. You got Vamos Ventures. You're like Latina 100%. What's your favorite Puerto Rican food? Oh, my God. I mean, this is a cop-out, but I have to say right, a good old rice and beans and then flan. My grandma makes the best flan, and I have the recipe. I will not share, but I will tell you there's a lot of coconut in it. <laughs> that's a solid answer. I mean, I think that that's, that's not a cop-out. I mean, I think actually that's, that's – I don't know. I want to try to sound cool. That's hard right there. <laughs> You're like, you just went in like straight for rice and beans. I just you went know? traditional, you know? But, but is it beans? But the, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, my understanding is in, in Puerto Rico is arroz con gandules. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you mean that, right? Yes, it's, uh, absolutely. It's loaded. It's absolutely loaded and it keeps you full. Yeah. Because I mean, in Nicaragua, we eat red beans. So we don't eat the gandules, but it's like, wow, you start off. What's your favorite food? You don't, you don't, you don't try to be like, Oh, well, this lobster <laughs> mofongo. I'm not trying no, to be, like, you know, uh, just the old school rice and beans. Fill me up with them and I'm good. And then, you know, top it off with a nice flan. <laughs> and a nice flan. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's great. Flan, it is my favorite dessert. Absolutely. 1,000%. The consistency just gets you. What's the consistency? What? Tell me what's, what's your consistency <laughs> on that. Though. The consistency <laughs> on that. So I like a very, coconut's very polarizing, I found, for a lot of I, I, I Actually, 
Yeah, like some people don't like coconut, but I love coconut. I just grew up so much around it. And so I love it very much with coconut flakes on the top and inside. And I like a very, not almost like a jello consistency, a little softer than that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we agree on consistency, disagree on the coconut. Yeah. My one has to be velvety smooth when you cut. Mm. You can't, the cut of the spoon has to be just like perfect. It can't be bouncy. It cannot be, no, but it, it's just the texture just breaks away when you have the flakes yeah. of the coconut. Yeah. yeah. My mother in law likes it coconutty and she makes it like that, and I cannot deal with that. It needs to be <laughs> really jiggly. It has to be jiggly, soft, yeah. nice brown. Oh, a butter. nice browning with the sugar, absolutely. And yeah, sometimes yeah. my grandma puts uh, lemon in it, interestingly enough, to give it like a bit of, bit of a tang to it. So I don't really like it that much. I say, you know, please just leave the coconut and all the milk and all the cream, and I'm good to go. <laughs> I could do rice and beans and then a flan, but okay, we got. We're here to talk about how do we create great success for for Latinos underrepresented, be a role model. Speaking of role models, what do you think made the biggest difference in your life? How'd you get here from where in New York? I'm from Staten Island, so I'm from the forgotten borough of, of New York City. And, you know, talking about role models in my life, I mean, this is very much just my, my parents. I mean, I saw my dad again immigrate at such an early age to this country and my mom just starting work basically out of high school and them always instilling in me, you know, that hard work ethic, you know, you have to work hard to, to get what you want. You know, they were both dropouts. And so I'm a first generation college student as well. And so because of that, I think they also instilled in me that education is basically, well, one, it's, it's really, really important. And two, it's a gateway to a lot of networks and really great people that could potentially help you out in wealth generation and getting to the next step in achieving this American dream. And so I've always prioritized that. I think because my parents, I mean, my dad's more, and he was, he was a porter in a building. He's been in real estate and just worked his way up. And then my mom, a U.S. postal worker. And so I didn't really have these venture capitalists or, you know, investors or founders around me growing up to say, I want to be like that person. And so I think my dad and, and my mom did such a wonderful job at exposing me to stories at a young age where I you know, could say, wait, I want to be like that person, like that path to founding a company or that path to investing in companies or being in finance or that is very achievable no matter what your background. And that was so powerful to me. So much so that you know, I worked really hard academically and I, you know, developed the story for myself of that I wanted to break into sort of the startup ecosystem at first because I didn't really know what venture capital was in the earliest days. I found that out more in, in college. But I applied to my top choice school, worked hard in high school, applied to my top choice school, Brown University, and got in luckily and was very much focused on, you know, these traditional careers at first because that's all I, I kind of knew and that I was like, okay, this is a safe bet just knowing my background. So law, finance. And I said to myself, let me you know, go on that path, at least out of school. But in the meantime, I still had this curiosity about the founding, the founding journey and, and entrepreneurship. And so I started getting involved at Brown in the Brown Entrepreneurship Program in Lady Launchers, which is a group I started around women interested in the entrepreneurial, in the entrepreneurial journey and in, in the founding journey. And then soon enough, you know, I, at least I like got to develop more of a perspective there with guest speakers coming in, with me just being around people who had more of an entrepreneurial mindset. 
But I did sell my soul and, and went to work in finance after graduation. Because again, that's sort of what I wanted as a baseline to give me sort of the network and the skill set that I could then go out and do anything else. So I did capital markets at Morgan Stanley. And that was such a wonderful job looking back because it was very much markets driven and you had to tell stories about companies. And so that is very true in the venture capital and startup space in that you're always storytelling, whether you're a founder storytelling and trying to get people to come join you on this crazy journey or an investor trying to pitch the rest of your team. This is the best company since sliced bread. <laughs> you got the it factor. You got the talking part of the Latina for sure, <laughs> so, which is, which is good. I mean, but it is, I mean, it is one of the most powerful things that we can learn how to do you Absolutely. Know I mean? is to tell a good story I and mean, just could get you so far, Absolutely. get you into places. The Forgotten borough, borough of New York. I know one thing about Staten Island. Is it the food? <laughs> no. It's where the Wu-Tang Clan is from. Yes. Yes. We take pride in the Wu-Tang Clan. We take pride in our Italian food mostly. We have the best pizza and bagel. Sorry, Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> and just a lot of wonderful, hardworking people. It's known as sort of more of, they call it the borough of the trees, actually, along with the Forgotten Borough. It's more suburban. You know, growing up, a lot of my friends, and I'm very appreciative of this because I have friends from all different types of backgrounds and jobs. And a lot of my friends growing up became cops, firefighters, teachers. And I'm still very in touch with, you know, I'm not in sort of this venture, startup, sexy job type of bubble. I still am very close to my roots and I'm still very close to that group of friends and my upbringing. And so I think it's just a wonderful juxtaposition, if you will, seeing all different worlds. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that sometimes I, I feel like I don't belong anywhere, right? And, and, yeah. and I'm just like, where, where do I belong? Like, yeah. I could be at a big gala with, I was at a gala for the first time, black tie event this past week with some fancy people. And I'm like, mm, I, I, know, I can be here, but I just don't belong here. Mm, yeah. And I can be with, I'm not I'm friends with like state people, like police people, but I'm friends with people of all diverse and ethnic uh, backgrounds. Absolutely. And I'd love to be able to jump all the layers and be with everybody and, and really enjoy myself in all the situations, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think there's a there's an interesting part of that too as it relates to sort of venture capital and startup world and that I think a lot of overlooked and traditionally underserved folks and demographics in this space you know, I have a lot of people come to me and say, like, Ashley, do I even have anything important to say? Because I'm not from XYZ background. I didn't have, you know, these types of parents. I didn't come from this type of wealth. And so there's a sense of imposter syndrome of like, do I deserve to be here? And do I have something important to say? And I think it's so important, especially in this venture capital startup world, that there is a diversity of perspective and that everyone brings their own lived experience, work experience to light and share their thoughts. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't have a problem with sharing their thoughts, even though it's said many, many times. And so I think sometimes we we hold ourselves back because there is a sense of imposter syndrome and do I belong? And that's just not true. We, we all belong and we're all capable of getting here. Yeah. My understanding is VCs don't know really what they're doing. Nobody really, really, really knows. Yeah, everyone's figuring it out. The best in the world. There's patterns, there's this, but how do you make a decision out of thousands that this person is going to make it. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking to a, new, a VC this morning on my way here to the office and, and, and he was like, yes, this guy, he has the it factor. He's going to make it, blah, 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 but needs help with this. And I'm just like, 
Yeah, he has the it factor, right? Yeah. Okay, well, what is the it what factor? The and, it's like, and, and you could have the it factor and, and still not make it because of market conditions or whatever, right? So just for people to understand that being a VC, you don't know what you do. You're lucky to meet, to have access. You do have to work hard, right? You have to hustle. You have to meet. You have to be nice. You have to know how to treat people, how to build a reputation. But other than that, it's like, I don't know how much of it is really finance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will say that there are different studies on this. And so like, to your by the way, what do I know? I'm not a VC. Well, I think you bring up a really great point, though, and you do actually do know a lot in the sense that I think a lot of people are still figuring it out. Like everyone's figuring it out. And this industry is shaped in such a way in that you have to be a self-promoter a lot of times because you have to say, I have this expertise. I am going to help your company scale. I bring this to the table. And so it's constant self-promotion in that I think a lot of folks forget it's at the end of the day, investing to your point in really great people with that it factor. What is that it factor? I do think that you develop that perspective over time with like pattern recognition and just more reps in and talking to more really great folks. But I think that also biases people. There's a flip side to that and it biases people in that the most successful entrepreneur isn't necessarily the traditional white male from Stanford or Harvard or MIT, right? There are many pockets and areas of this country where there's such a hub of entrepreneurship that just isn't on a traditional VC's radar. And that's why a fund like Vamos Ventures exists. It's almost demystifying. It's to demystify the venture capital space on the investor side and on the founder side in the sense that, you know, 2% of VC funding just about goes to female founders, less than that goes to, you know, Latinos and black founders. And so they're out there, but VCs are not really looking for them. And again, that's why Vamos Ventures is here. But I think we're very much of the belief that there's a huge opportunity in this growing demographic that is a Latino demographic and all diverse demographics for that matter, and that we need to pay more attention to this. And then on the investor side, that we need to create a pipeline for more diverse folks to be in capital allocator seats. Because if you don't have the experience on the other side, how are you going to understand that a Puerto Rican girl from New York is capable of, you know, building the next unicorn, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, I feel like, I think VC is is broken right now, right? It is really, I don't know what the hell is going on, right? It's just before back in the day, you can raise a hundred million dollars and then, you know, you can make a hundred million, you can triple that, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's doable. Sure. You can find nice hit, nice home run and return the fund. But now if you raise a billion dollars, raise $2 billion, like how many figmas do you need yeah. to make it? You probably need like multiple figmas. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, what, if you're only going to make on 10% of figma, that's $2 billion, but you raise $2 billion, right? How many people are going to get a Figma? It's like, nobody. The stakes are definitely higher. And I think it almost you know disadvantages diverse emerging managers because the stakes are so high. They're expecting, you know, LPs are mostly traditional. Like they're, it's nice to see that some of them are going in the direction of giving these emerging diverse managers a chance, but the stakes are so high in that, you know, I think emerging managers and new funds need to almost prove themselves more than right yeah. traditional ones. And that is, I, to your point, I think it's a broken system. And so we need LPs who are giving these funds capital to actually give us a shot and show that we could do it too. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know too much about the history. I'm just like, 
starting to pick my head from the entrepreneurial world of, I was just like heads down. Yeah. It feels like maybe this is the first generation of Latino GPs. Is, is this with general partners, right? Yeah. This is kind of like the first big wave of. Yeah, right? absolutely. What you're saying is for people that don't have a full understanding of the system, it's like people want the LPs, the people with the money, right? It could be the endowments. It could be the states. It could be like the family offices. They're looking to where they put their money in. And so what do they want? They want reliability. They want predictability. They want the reputation. They want the history. They want to be able to say, I'm going to put my money where the firm has always returned money. And so when you come in, if it's your first time, especially which is this the whole new wave of Latino GPs, then we're like, okay, why should I put my money there? Like they've yeah. never done this before. So yeah. This is a struggle that we're in. We're trying to get this first wave to build a reputation, which is going to take 10 years. Yeah. And there's not that many. How, how many Latino GPs are in the U.S.? There's not that many. I mean, along with Vamos Ventures, I mean, there are several others other than this, but like LatVC, Mendoza, Inicio Ventures, these are all sort of the funds that are focused on sort of the Latino opportunity that are led by, you know, Latino GPs and, and founders and just deep operational founding, uh, you know, investing experience. But we need more of them. The opportunity is yeah. huge. And I don't think LPs and other stakeholders are realizing, you know, one in four business, new businesses are started by Latinos. We're going to be 30% plus of the population pretty soon. And we're the most entrepreneurial group out there, demographic out there as, right now. As long as we keep making babies, <laughs> this is the only way this is going to happen. Like we're going to be forced, right? It, it's just going to be no choice. Yeah. So yeah. at least... We got we got that going for the Latinos. Absolutely. But we, you know what we need to band more together. We're I think we're all pretty dispersed and siloed and like there's power in community. And that's why I focus a lot on community building. It's like some of these Latino investors, entrepreneurs don't even know each other here in New York. And I want to bring everyone together and you know, hopefully we could build the ecosystem in that way too. Now you're speaking my language, the community. There is no community. What is the community? Teach me about the community. I was just yeah. in New York this this weekend, like right? yeah. it's like where was the Latino community at the VC? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, where, where do I find it? So there are two wonderful organizations that I think are the early innings of what this could eventually be, which is all of us hopefully working better together. There's VC Familia and there's Latinx VC. VC Familia is more founders, investors, operators coming together. There's events, there's mentorship, there's conversation on Slack. Latinx VC is more geared towards VCs, traditional VCs and bringing all of us together. Connectivity to LPs as emerging fund managers. Again, also has a Slack with a lot of amazing conversation, job postings, opportunities. So those are the two that come to mind that I'm very involved in. But I think in terms of in-person and more geographically based, there needs to be more. There needs to, I think, in my humble opinion, champions who are geographically based, who are very heavily networked, that do this stuff on maybe a monthly or quarterly basis, they say, let's get the entire tech ecosystem together, meaning that it could be maybe 30 or 40 people at a time, but the goal is to get more people to know each other. And let's just have a really intimate, real conversation as to what it means to be Latino in this space and how we could all genuinely help each other. doesn't matter if you're Puerto Rican, Mexican, Dominican, whatnot. We need to help each other out and we need to make our mark in this country and even more so help each other out from a wealth generation standpoint, because the more money we have, 
I think the better we could do as well and the better we could pay it forward. Thousand percent agree. I think the key word is help each other, is that we, we have to understand how do we become more surplus or, or understand that the more we give, the more comes back, right? Yeah, I love that. The question is, is it in person, right? Is, is that what we need? What is it connectedness? Is it people with money? Is it lessons? Is it teaching, right? Is it, like I said, I have this a white investor contacting me to talk to a white founder to help them scale the business that it could be the difference between a 500 million business and a $5 billion business because this guy needs help on, on how to level up the team, how to hire at scale, how to do these things that I've done. So he's asking me for advice, but I can be given that advice to my Latino family, yeah. right? And so like, but the question is, who wants to hear, how do we organize, how do we put in the effort, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to do the things. What does our community need? I think our community needs, well, first and foremost, education, that these paths do exist. So I often say this, and you know, I may be wrong in this, but I think even starting early as middle school and high school of like teaching young kids and Latinos, Latinas, that there is an interesting path and it's a path to again wealth generation in that you found a company and you scale and build a company. Yes, it's a daunting path. Yes, it's very high likelihood that you might fail a few times, but why not try it and do it? And you know, we're, we're such as Latinos, we like to build, we like to do things, we like to hustle. And so it's inherent in our culture and in our nature to go out and build things and, and be creative and make an impact. And so one, educate them that these paths exist, even on the venture side, that an investing career is also potentially very lucrative. And in that developing a certain expertise over time and then breaking into the venture capital space, you can have a really big impact on the companies that are coming to market, that are scaling, that are making a difference in the world. So I think it's education one. As part of that, I think it's mentorship and paying it forward in that like, you know, folks like you, very successful, you know, know the entrepreneurial journey and path and have a wonderful story spending the time and making the time to mentor folks who are from our community, who are very interested in this path, but maybe it is daunting. Maybe they don't know how to take the leap. Maybe they don't know how to scale a company or at least have a mentor to make them feel comfortable that they could share this stuff with. And I think it's just being genuine and truthful and real in a mentorship capacity. So it's almost like a lot of these organizations have started mentorship programs and that they match junior investors with senior investors, founders with other successful founders. And it's such a wonderful thing. We actually had our founder summit about four weeks ago, a month ago in San Francisco. And our portfolio is very, it's sort of 10% later stage companies. And these founders have done it multiple times and are very successful from a fundraising and exit perspective. And then a lot, most of our companies are very just getting off the ground early, like still figuring things out. And bringing like 30 Latinos, Latinas together in the same room and having them share all of their perspectives and like what worked for them and whatnot was so powerful. So that's what we need more of. And then the last thing I'll say is going back to my champion point, champions, whether it's geographically or through these organizations with a true desire to bring folks together and be super connectors because you just never know in this space. If you're connected to one person, that might go somewhere. That might be a new company right there. Or that might be a fund that's created that will invest in more Latinos and diverse entrepreneurs. So I think it's all of those things. I agree. I don't think I'm a super connector. I'm not a connector type, I think. But they, yeah, that's what they like to do. That's what they like to do. I'm not a connector. I'm, I'm more, of a, more of a doer and 
think I'm a mentor. I'm, I'm a hard mentor. So if you need people that need hard mentors, let me know. <laughs> I know a lot of people who need hard mentors and that's the best type of mentorship. It's getting real and saying, you got to do this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty hard. Like usually they don't come back. I think maybe you should be my mentor then. <laughs> okay. One time, one time. Yeah. I'm mentoring one of my old early employees at Drift and he started a company. I like it because he's like coming back and he's like, we need to meet more. I need, I need to call you. I need you. And it's like, I'm interviewing, I'm doing this now, how I do this. And, yeah. but it's like, I feel like I need to write that stuff. I just don't think there's enough manuals on this thing. Yeah, like, there is they're a- like fundraising, finding a co-founder, this interviewing, like, uh, what about this? My personality is, you know, me, I need to fix this, stay on me, push me. And so like, I like it when people say push me in this, then I'm like, okay, then I'll call you and yell at you like in a good way. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's tough love. It's tough. No, I I only have tough love. It's, it's combined. I love like, that. I love that. Me. Just really quickly on one of the points you made, which is you'd be surprised at how spending 10 minutes with an early stage founder on something like how to organize a deck and how to position certain slides as they go into an investor conversation. That's what I mean. I think if you're, if you have that understanding of like, no one helped you. So, and that, you know, really had an effect on where I, I mean, I I ended up fine. I think knock on wood, we'll see what happens, but you know, I didn't have many people helping me. And so if I did have those people helping me in the earliest stages, maybe, you know, I would have gotten to this space faster or realized, you know, had certain career realization sooner. And so that's always in the back of my mind when a founder reaches out to me and says, Ashley, like, do you have the 30 minutes? Do you have the 15 minutes to just hear me out and hear my pitch out or like help me with fundraising? I love that stuff. Cause it's only yeah, yeah. 10 minutes that'll, you know, potentially change I mean, those, the those are good people, though. Those are good people. It's like, I'm telling people all the time. Well, I tell myself that, too. Like, <laughs> you have to spend some quiet time and think through stuff. Absolutely. Or practice something. You know what I mean? But people don't do it, right? People don't like, I'm going to practice. They just go straight into the pitch, right? They don't have time. They're busy. They're running around, right? And they're like, oh, well, I just put this back together. I'm going to do it. Instead of, well, let me say it to somebody and hear some critical feedback and change it, right? Absolutely. So the ones that ask for for that, that's a really good flag. Right? Yeah, that's a good it's, sign. They want feedback and they're coachable. They're coachable, right? So so that's a great stuff. I'm going to commend you for, I'm going to be honest, to say that, I, like if I was to become an investor and start a fund and go out there to raise a fund and say, I'm only going to invest in Latinos, I don't know if I would do it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really tough choice because we're trying to prove ourselves yeah. in another man's game. Sure. If we pick like sides like that, we risk not being successful or we get seen as charity work, impact stuff, whatever it is. You know, I say the rice. You're doing this. You you got you got the Puerto Rican gandulas. You know what I mean? Like what, what is, tell me about that, that decision and what's the benefit and why more people should do this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much a believer, and there's different perspectives on this too, that you could achieve financial return and have impact at the same time. And we do that through our focus areas. We You mentioned fintech, commerce, sustainability, future of work, and health and wellness. I do a lot of health and wellness and fintech investing. And just in our investments alone, you start seeing that these themes of health access and affordability, financial wellness and education. So inherently, you can have an impact investing in these big idea type companies that want to reach the masses, right? On the Latino opportunity, it's just so overlooked. And I I don't understand why, because 80,000 Latinx, Latinos turn 18 every month. We have $2 trillion of purchasing power, right? Again, we're going to be 30 
percent plus of the population pretty soon. And you have to be silly not to, to focus on this. That means that as our population grows, there are going to be more founders in this community, right? The country will be speaking Spanish as, if not its first language, its second language. Oh my God, look at that, how strong that is. <laughs> if not the first language, imagine that. <laughs> exactly, but I, I really do Bad see- Bad Bunny, it. baby, Bad Bunny. <laughs> well, Bad Bunny should start a fund and maybe make me the GP. No, I'm just kidding. Puerto Rico well, all why, the time. Why not? Let's, let's manifest it here. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's put it out there and let's- <laughs> should, we, should we try to reach a bad bunny? We should try to reach a bad bunny. We should try to reach a bad bunny. You should have him on your show. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I know the only cool person I know is Pipple. I know Pipple. I should get Pipple oh, on the show. Pipple's a good guy from what I hear. I don't know him personally, but he get, very much gives back to the community. I don't know if we get canceled here, like for whatever one Ron think that he might have said sometime, you know, 50 years ago. But yeah. I've, I've interacted with him a few times. But and actually, he's on my list. I should. I got to get him. You should. Yeah, why not? I know what I need to do to get him on the show. Sure. <laughs> he, loves, he loves doing stuff for schools. Yes, he, absolutely. He, you know, he runs this charter schools. I don't know. Everything's fucking political anyways. But <laughs> he runs schools in the inner cities for the kids. And the kids love him. Yeah. And he makes a huge impact. Those yeah. kids are like, I've been to the schools uh, with people there. And it's like. He actually you know, spends the time. He actually, he actually is putting the time. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. But we go after Bad Bunny. We go after Bad Bunny. Let's do that. Let's go after Bad Bunny. But you bring up a wonderful point, too, that reminded me of like, you know, and also there are a lot of Latinos, Latinas who are getting to these positions of power who actually do want to give back. And I think they're setting an example for everyone else in that we do have the power to make something of ourselves. I don't know why anyone would doubt that, but it's nice to have these examples of extremely successful artists, investors, business executives, musicians, everyone in every walk of life and have examples of that in that, you know, we are powerful and we are resonating with consumers, with fans, with folks on the other side and that there's a huge opportunity in investing in us. I think in the past, back in the day, I feel like it was a lot more hidden, you know, when somebody was like a successful executive. Who was it? The Coca-Cola CEO, wasn't he like Cuban or Spanish? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Coca-Cola. Um, Roberto Crispulo Goiseta Cantera, Cuban-born American business executive, CEO. There you, know. you go. So, so like there was stuff like that, right? But like nobody knew. And nobody talked right? about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about it, right? So I think, so I was going to say like, you know what, if I look back, Latinos have achieved all levels of success from the beginning of time, right? Then, but it was quiet. And, and so what, what's happened is now, I, my, my feeling now is that the U.S. is better, America is better. Now we, we, we can, more of us are successful. Uh-huh. It's, it's a better place for us that is more ready, right? It's still hard. We shouldn't play the victim. We just got to be, just stay at the hustle. Yep. But now what we're still not doing is telling the stories mm-hmm. in our households, to our friends, to our families, in the community. So people know about this. Yep. And then because we've been growing in population, but we haven't necessarily grown in the percentages of success. Yeah. To that. And it's because we don't share those successes with, the, with one another. Their storytelling. Yeah. So going back to the schools and telling and showing them, people, touching you. Wow. This guy. I'm five six, Latino. Look at this, big nose, brown skin, blah blah blah. 
I'm going to be like that. He looks like my dad. He looks like this. Absolutely. He can do it. I can do it. Like, what, what's the big deal? Right? Absolutely. I don't need to be tall, white, blonde to be successful. So, for sure. And then, and then we'll get more. But I think that it's coming to it. And so we, we can't stress out with this first wave of GPs, right? But we need more people to learn the ropes. Yes. That's the lesson you need. Yeah, we, if we, I was not a good entrepreneur in, in, in 2008 when I first started. I'm I'm a little better now, right? But it's still like it's only been 10, 15 years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So people think that I'm supposed to learn how to do all this stuff at once. Happens over time and with getting thrown into the fire. That's what I appreciated with Marcos, the GP and, and founder of our fund, is very much like you learn by doing. And that's like the way that I learn. It's just throwing me into the fire and doing deals and talking to people and just being out there invisible. I'm learning fast because of that. But I absolutely agree. I think, you know, you need people on on the other side and in these roles and who are open to telling their stories to have little Ashley, who didn't even know she was going to end up in the venture capital space, be like, wow, I want to be like this Latina one day who is a successful investor and who does a lot for the community. Absolutely. No, I think that that's, that's the key. I love this I love what you're doing, right? And I, I love that you're investing. How many companies have you invested in? 25, 25. And so 100% of our portfolio is diverse. And I believe 95% plus now with our recent investments are Latinx. And so again, it's not a pipeline problem. They're out there. It's funds need to focus on on these entrepreneurs. Jeez, 25 companies. Yeah. That's yep. a lot. You must have talked to a thousand? Thousands, thousands of companies. We only invest as any traditional venture capital fund in like single digits of the companies that we talk about, right? And so there are amazing Latinos and Latino entrepreneurs out there. We talk to them every single day. And it's a very hard decision to have to pick, you know, only 25 or only 30 eventually in this first fund. But we're not just capital only. We're connectors as well, going back to the- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we're- if it's not a fit for Vamos, we're introducing them to other types of investors that might be able to help. That, that's the thing about it is that's why I don't want to be an investor. I hate saying no. Yeah, it's hard. It very much is hard, especially if there's a personal tie there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I feel like I want to try to figure out how to do this at more at scale. Like, you know, this story here, if I don't have time to be one-on-one with them, mm-hmm. it's hard to to like respond to everybody and say that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But take the stories, listen to the stuff. Yeah. If you're not listening to... You should listen to all of this and that should inspire you like, okay, I can do this week. I can do the next. And at scale, you share that with others. And that, that's a, a first place to get to, to, to start giving out some help, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I love that idea because we do refer folks to like a founder library with all these resources from anything from like building your CRM for fundraising to how to tackle go to market. And we're actually building sort of an, a notion library for both our portfolio companies and non-portfolio companies so that they could have some of these resources aggregated in one area. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm advising people, I'm like, I go, let's keep a notion file together and you write down the notes and then some days I hope the notes come back and I can just put them together in the book. But it's so much to teach and explain. You only learn by doing it. Everybody only learns by doing it. So people, if they're to take something from this, one, Ashley's awesome. <laughs> Two, she likes arroz con gandules. And three, you only learn by doing. And we got to do it more. And who yep. cares if it's how far do we get? No matter. But we're learning. We're it's learning. just better than sitting at some desk or somewhere else and just yeah. not learning everything is about learning yeah and also living someone else's dream like we could make our own right paths and we could achieve our own dreams so why not go and do go out there and do things agree we don't want 
to push everyone. To, everybody has to be an entrepreneur. Sure. And I don't want people to feel bad like if you're not an entrepreneur. Sure. But you could be a fantastic leader, mm-hmm. role model in great companies, yes. right? Where your dream could be influencing, helping your family, getting everybody out of poverty, still generating wealth, right? It could be generational, right? But but it doesn't matter. But I just want Latinos to be successful, right? And have no limit. But the, the, the entrepreneur stuff, it's it's hard. It's hard to, to carry this level of stress every day. It's not for everybody. But I want people to think high, to go really, really high. I want you to be a CEO. I want you to be a VP of sales, VP of product, VP of engineering, SVP, EVP, all that stuff. And then the larger the company, the better, right? But if you start your own company, fantastic. If it's a small company, it's okay. If it's a big company, that's great. We might be in a little bit of a reset in the world where people say it's okay to have a small company that is $5 million in revenue yeah. profitable, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't have to be. But we want to make sure that people get to a place where they have a business that is actually sustainable, right? That they can run on its own. Yeah. And that people are living out their own dreams, whether it's through the entrepreneurship path or to your point, at a company leading team. So that's completely right. fine. And we need all Latinos, Latinas everywhere. Yeah. The important it is to have a dream. It is the, the, the dream is could be I want to have this for my family. I want to have a vacation home. I want to have a hobby. I want to be able to travel back to my country and see my. I want to help my mother. You know, I want to help it, whatever it is. But to have dreams, and and I think the Latinos we have a lot of dreams. We want to show them how to dream bigger. <laughs> Amen to that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to meeting you. Thank you so much. We got to follow up on this community thing. I'm, I'm thinking of some yes. stuff about that. Yes, I'm all game for it. And, and thank you so much for having me. It was a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.